The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. On this episode of Newt's World, I think one of the great challenges as we consider our national debt of $31 trillion dollars is how to rein spending back in across all federal agencies, manage the overall tax structure, so that we're creating jobs and supporting a strong economy through supply-side ideals. We need to work towards getting to a balanced budget, as I once did as Speaker of the House for four consecutive years, the only time in our lifetime. But in order to do that, we need to start making choices about taxes and spending. And look, in addition to that, we have to recognize that a great deal of government has to be modernized that in fact, it's not just about money. It's about what the money buys, how it's spent, how much waste there is, to what degree the bureaucracies are inherently inefficient. And in that sense, every government agency has a challenge of modernization. And the agency with the most complex challenge is the Defense Department. That's why I wanted to talk about how we could modernize the Defense Department and the federal government. And as a result of that process, I believe we'll get both a better defense system and a less expensive defense system. The person I'm about to introduce is a real expert. She's been right on the firing lines, and that's Lisa Hirschman. She is the former chief management officer for the U.S. Department of Defense from 2018 through 2021. At DOD, she had direct budgetary management oversight of a $168 billion budget and 122,000 employees of the 28 defense agencies and field activities. She directed the Armed Services Secretaries and the Joint Chiefs of Staff with respect to business transformation and reform, leading the department in achieving a record $37 billion in savings for operational reforms. Lisa, welcome, and thank you for joining me on Newt's World. Mr. Speaker, it's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm so excited that you have taken on this charge because this is a very important topic. I think it's important both in terms of money, but also in terms of keeping up with China. I mean, if we have a slow, cumbersome, inefficient bureaucracy, the Chinese are eventually just simply going to pull away and be able to dominate us. So I think what you've done and what you're working on 
is central to our national survival, both in military terms and in fiscal terms. But I want to start by talking about budget numbers, just so people understand the enormous scale of what you and I are talking about. The fiscal year 2023 Department of Defense Appropriations Act provides $797.7 billion in discretionary spending, an increase of $69.3 billion above fiscal year 2022. In addition, the package includes $27.9 billion as part of the fourth Ukraine supplemental and $106.2 million to repair Navy, Army Reserve, and Army National Guard facilities in Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Puerto Rico, and Virginia that were damaged by Hurricanes Ian and Fiona. The military personnel cost $172.7 billion. Operations and maintenance cost $278.1 billion. Procurement is $162.2 billion. Research, development, test, and evaluation is $136.7 billion. Management funds are $1.7 billion, and other Department of Defense programs total about $41.8 billion. When you were looking at all that, weren't you almost overwhelmed? It was hard to get your head wrapped around those kind of numbers. And when I had first started, someone put it in context for me, which was very helpful. At the time, and this is 2018 reference, the Department of Defense had the 19th largest economy in the world. So it was a, equivalent to Belgium. So walking in, obviously scale mattered. But one thing that was commonly misunderstood is DOD kept saying, you can't compare us to any other company. And while that's true, portions of it can be compared to other companies. And the same type of processes apply. And that's why private sector comparisons, benchmarking, and even use of and implementation of best practices is absolutely appropriate to reform and modernize the department. Given that scale, what was your background? How did you end up being prepared to look at something on this scale? Great question. From what I understand in looking at the history, Congress spent about 15 years trying to develop and implement this role. And I'll tell you what they did incredibly well, is they looked at the level of authority that was necessary for the role to be successful, and they made it the number three position in the department, meaning for business operations and transformation purposes, the role could overrule Secretary of the Army, Navy, Air Force, Chairman of the Joint Staff, etc. So they put the authority in place. Now, the requirements were unique as well in that they required the person filling the position to have a minimum of seven years of experience in large-scale reform, specifically from the private sector. So they were conscientious and deliberate about saying, I don't want anybody in here with government thinking and fully understanding and only accustomed to the way government approaches reform and modernization. They absolutely wanted an injection of private sector practices. And that's how I spent my career in the private sector and spent time mostly in operations, but also in the transformation world. I worked in the tech sector, and for one tech company, I ran transformation in 72 countries. And it was the basis of my book, Faster, Cheaper, Better, that talks about scaling and transformation and how to modernize your organization. When you wrote Faster, Cheaper, Better, did you have any notion of applying it to the government? Not at the time. 
although I did have some engagement with portions of the Army and portions of the Defense Logistics Agency because it was recommended to them to use my book to prepare for audit and looking at their processes and their business systems differently. So some of the consulting firms were recommending they use my book. And as a result, they would reach out on occasion for some engagement and training of their senior executives. I spent about 90 hours in a tutorial with Edwards Deming a long time ago. As you know, Deming had was in a sense the original pioneer of quality work and the award in Japan for the best managed companies, the Deming Award. How would your work compare and to what degree are they parallel in the search for doing things right the first time? There are a lot of synergies surrounding what Dr. Deming had written about and made a career of in that you want to look at outcomes and design your organization around, not around siloed departments that you see on an org chart, but look more across horizontally end to end and look at how work flows and how you accomplish an outcome. And so starting with that outcome and working backwards and then looking at how do you inspect it, review it, et cetera, along the way to ensure and remove the risk from having an adverse outcome and actually achieving the outcome that you'd like. So certainly, and I spent a lot of my career also in the quality arena when I was first starting out, so very familiar with the practices. And so there are a lot of synergies and a lot of his principles, along with folks like Peter Drucker, that are used for a wholesale review of management practices. I urge every group I talk to to buy Drucker's The Effective Executive. Buy it in paperback, underline it, go back and reread it regularly. From your standpoint, someday down the road, you may be in that same league and will be reading your book as the basic introduction because you've had a wild range of experiences. And the, the last really big one, you were literally were dealing with 72 different countries. You have some idea of complexity. Not only complexity, but what's necessary to scale properly, but also the nuances of culture and how that plays a role in successful implementation and then adoption. Looking at many of the different countries in which I had the privilege to work, have very different approaches to business and taking that into consideration was enormously helpful towards achieving great outcomes. There should never be a cookie-cutter template. You should look at the culture of the organization, their capacity for change, etc., and that actually helps you with your approach and your implementation. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. 
Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The Pentagon is not an eager place to have a chief management officer who has power over the career uniforms. When you agreed to take it, you became the highest-ranking woman ever confirmed by the U.S. Senate to a Pentagon position, and during your work, you received the highest civilian honor awarded by the Defense Department. That's a pretty remarkable achievement. What was your first reaction when you were approached about going to the Pentagon? A bit of disbelief. So when I got the call, as many people do, and say, I'm calling from the White House, your first reaction is, sure you are. (laughs) So it was a little bit overwhelming, but very exciting. I never saw myself in government, but I always thought if there's a way to serve my country by using my background and my experiences, especially in business operations, I would be more than honored to have the opportunity to do that. And when we were applying, my husband was actually, he's the one that's spent time in government most of his career. And he said to me, if I find a role for you in government, would you consider taking it? And I said, I'd be happy to under one condition. And that is no name dropping about who we know. I said, and this is a non-negotiable. I want to get there on my own merits and my own accomplishments. So my credentials, my resume, et cetera, were entered into the website, just like probably thousands of other people. And I thought, if it's meant to happen, and if I truly do meet the requirements, then I trust that it will happen. And that's exactly what happened. That's amazing. Now, I'm curious, though, because again, as a former congressman, it's clear to me that the Congress was extraordinarily frustrated with the inability of the Pentagon to fix itself. And so they actually grew this role into being the third-ranking official at DOD. In a sense, you have the authority to overrule the secretaries of the Army, Navy, Air Force, the chair of the Joint Chiefs. I assume now the Space Force would be included. That's an enormously powerful role and must, at one level, I would think, lead to an extraordinary resistance by the bureaucracy. It did. And a few things that I learned, and Congress, by the way, did this with some study. They had tried the role as a deputy chief management officer, and that was a 10-year initiative that did not produce much in the way of results. And 
I give them credit for trying. And I also give them enormous credit for looking at what worked and what didn't work and trying to change it. And that role did not have the level of authority necessary to overrule and make some tough decisions and implement some things that were very difficult. And by the way, those who held those positions were actually quite supportive. And any time that there was a disagreement, I was reluctant to use the, I'm sorry, but I'm overruling you. I usually would sit down with them and say, how do you get to yes? And I found them quite receptive. Where I found the greatest amount of pushback was more in the rank and file. And those that felt that reform was going to threaten budgets, headcount, etc. And I learned the hard way that using the term reform is incredibly off-putting in government, especially at the Department of Defense. I was interested in modernizing, upgrading the systems and how we conducted business. But when the word reform is used at DOD, there is only one word that comes to mind, and that's cuts. So the threat was about what am I going to lose rather than what can we do better, differently, how do we improve? And that was a very, very difficult hurdle to overcome. The second your back was turned, they got the Congress to abolish the job. They did. There were quite a few folks internally that lobbied against it. I'm sure this will be no shock to you, but some of the government agencies are wrought with politics. And some people really were threatened by the role, threatened by either the level of authority or the perception that cuts were coming. And several felt that part of their domain was taken away from them to create this role. And there was a lot of the unknown. And that level of uncertainty was incredibly uncomfortable for folks. Were we making changes? You bet. Were we doing so thoughtfully? Absolutely. In fact, the day I left the role, as you mentioned, we did save $37 billion. There was another $6.2 billion awaiting for signature to be implemented. That $6.2 billion didn't touch Army, Navy, or Air Force. It all came from the fourth estate, all the agencies and field activities. And $4.9 billion of that didn't include a single cut. It was simply modernizing, reducing duplication, et cetera. But the perceptions were so strong that it was a threat. And it wasn't just the people in the building. There were others. I'll give you a great example. When we looked at commissaries and exchanges, for example, they manage 1.4 million item numbers. And just by comparison, Costco manages 8,000. But the commissaries have 1.4 million and of that number, one million of those items don't produce more than $1,000 of revenue per year. So when you're carrying 20 plus brands of apple juice, and only seven of them produce 96% of the revenue, certainly you're looking to reduce the number of brands that you're carrying. Well, that infuriates the apple juice producers and they, of course, have their lobbying arm and they go to their members of Congress and suddenly we have to put a stop to it. So I won't say it was just the people in the building. It was the supply chain and others that may have been affected that were really uncomfortable with the changes that we were promoting. I'm familiar with the obligation to have 
extraordinary congressional pressure to get any kind of serious changes. In the 1890s, the Navy committees of both the House and Senate were chaired by people from Maine. And all of the major Navy repairs took place in Maine. And the term SOS meant save our ship because they would keep ships in dock to work on for years and years and years. And the Navy had a fairly big budget, probably the 13th or 14th most effective Navy in the world because they couldn't modernize. And Bessemer Steel came along with Theodore Roosevelt and Henry Cabot Lodge and created the Navy League and fought for modernization. And a decade later, we had a steel Navy that did not need to go to Maine for long periods of reform. It was a huge fight. Similarly, when we passed Goldwater Nichols, which I participated in, every active four-star was opposed to it. President Reagan was opposed to it, and Secretary Weinberger was opposed to it. And today, virtually everybody in the military will tell you that jointness coming out of Goldwater Nichols was central to how we operate. So my hunch is that to modernize the Pentagon will require Congress deciding how to impose modernity in a way that will initially be resisted, and then later people will look at it and say, well, of course, that's what we have to do. But you had your own experiences where you looked at how do we, in a sense, quit crippling ourselves? Because, for example, the way the Pentagon asked for people to bid, I had the largest manufacturer of the trucks that are used to carry baggage to airplanes. They sold all over the world. Aeroflot bought from them. They've sold all over the world. They would not bid on Air Force contracts because they thought that they would be corrupted by the procedures and lose their cutting edge. And they said, we could sell four times as many baggage carts per dollar as the Air Force is currently buying, but we can't match all the different requirements the Air Force has built in. And it was just an example of this. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, Every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Do you want to talk to us for a little bit about the kind of changes you did 
that led to a better, more effective American defense system? First of all, we looked at duplication. And the amount of duplication at DOD is really quite staggering. For instance, there are 64 CIOs. And this, again, let me just remind your audience that this is numbers from when I was there and I left two years ago. So things may have changed, but they had 64 CIOs, 355 separate cloud initiatives. The procurement alone is a hotbed of opportunity for reform. There are 45,000 contracting officers and 2,500 contracting offices. So what that means is you don't have a central repository where all of your contracts are managed, kept, and available for people to view. As a result, we ended up with 18 unique contracts to purchase two by fours from two vendors. We were buying batteries that you could go down to your local pharmacy, grocery store, hardware store, and buy them. And we have multiple contracts for that same battery that ranged in unit price from 13 cents to $25 per battery. I mentioned commissaries and exchanges. One of the biggest misses that we had there was an opportunity to implement online procurement where you could shop online and then go to the commissary and pick up your items, which was increasing the basket value from approximately $68 to $69 to just south of $400. So the opportunities were there, but we were very limited in what we were able to do. However, we did look at procurement and reducing the duplication, and that's what led us to the $37 billion. And I will say that, and this was very important to me, that we had validated that every dime that was saved went to higher priorities, such as hypersonic missile research. We were on a $100 billion in five-year pace of savings. We also looked at regulations, and we were able to reduce or eliminate or modify over 247. So that's taking some of the handcuffs off and becoming a little bit easier to do business with. So we looked at procurement. And along with all of these changes, by the way, we were training the people internally. We were investing in the resources so that they had the skills and the tools to equip them to manage differently. Let me give you an example in the contracts alone. We discovered as we dug into the details of contracts that much of our pricing was based on a first piece approval. So when the first piece comes off the line, which of course you can imagine would require a tremendous amount of inspection, we would bake that cost into the contract rather than looking at a full-scale production of that piece, which would lower the cost dramatically. That's the level of detail that we were training people to look at when negotiating contracts and where there was wiggle room. Certainly, we didn't want to deny anyone a fair profit, but we would also find that in certain vehicles, for instance, all the major components were properly priced and some of the accessory components were at a 40% markup. So these are the things that we taught people. We taught them how to renegotiate and we renegotiated contracts that were not only saving money, but we were also looking at time savings. One of the initiatives that I was so proud of 
was that we were looking for next generation systems for better battlefield view for our warfighter. And we were able to shave somewhere between two and four years off of implementation time so that our warfighters were getting better tools and equipment much earlier. We did simple things like we were storing maps and we were storing commodities such as batteries and light bulbs. And we decided not to order those on contract. We would order the batteries and light bulbs or get them when we needed them through commodity procurement. And we stopped housing maps, got rid of them, started to print the map when we needed it on demand. And we saved the equivalent of warehouse space, equivalent to the center of the Pentagon, the courtyard, five of those. And that warehouse space was then freed up for us to bring important equipment out of the environment and protect it for longer use. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of smattering of what we're able to do. There are two that I noticed that I just have to ask you about. One is that there's a southern military base with 22 contracts for cutting grass. Yes, that's correct. Is that a small business initiative? <laughs> no, that's having multiple people that have the authority to contract with those that are grass mowing and not necessarily having the view that if I'm looking at a contract, I have no idea that 21 other ones exist. That's hysterical. Okay, second. You talked about an agency-wide information technology system that under the DOD model would cost $1.3 billion and take 18 years, and a similar-sized company in the private sector could do it for $800,000 and three and a half years. It's actually $800 million. $800 million, okay. It's still in the neighborhood of significantly less. But the real kicker in that example is... Can you imagine implementing a modern IT system and you say it'll be ready to go in 18 years? That's only about six cycles of IT. <laughs> exactly. It's obsolete the day you turn the switch on. And I honestly thought that someone else made a typo when they presented that to me. And I actually said to the agency, please don't present this to the Secretary of Defense because I don't want you to walk into a trap and get shot down. And much to my chagrin, and this was coming about when I was leaving office, they started phase one of the implementation and funded $100 million to stand up the program office. The other one I have to ask you about, because if this is true, I'm going to get a copy. The Navy has a 54-page procurement document for a common pipe wrench you can buy at Home Depot. That's correct. I want to get a copy of it. I might be able to help you out with that. I'm into show and tell. Here's what's really frustrating. The suppliers that wanted to bid on that had a hard time finding the specs for the pipe wrench. It was riddled with packaging requirements and the requirement to use sustaining materials. And I'm not saying that those initiatives aren't laudable and noble and necessary, but we end up taking something that you could literally go down the street and buy, and we flood our requirements to the point where you can't even find what is it that they want us to bid on and what are the specs, because it is just immersed in all of this other requirements 
and it's grown over the years. And nobody takes requirements away. They just keep adding on and adding on. Which also means you have the cost of the staff who spent all that time writing the requirements. Oh, not only that, but then reporting on them. If I was tempted to take a photograph of one year worth of reports that I had to submit, it would be taller than I am. And the amount of staff work and time to do those reports generating a status update on how we're doing on all these requirements is stunning. Just stunning. I know one department when I was there that actually hired contractors to take care of all the reporting requirements. I'm curious, as somebody who grew up in the Army, do commissaries actually provide less expensive food than Costco or Walmart? Certainly, I didn't go through all of the costs, but from what I saw that, yes, they were very favorably competitive with some of the neighboring locations they were. The other thing that I've been fascinated by, we have been trying for years to get an audit of the Pentagon, and apparently so far has been impossible. Why is that? So I will say that this is from a periphery view. I did not run the audit, but I was involved in some of the report outs. I was there when the attempts were made and there was lots of audit activity happening. It is so incredibly complex that I remember sitting in a report out of audit findings and they talked about we could not locate buildings. And I honestly thought that they were kidding. And when I saw that no one in the room was grinning except for me, I realized it's not. The amount of items that we buy, the amount of assets that we own, and the fact that we don't have centralized tracking systems and repositories to put all that and to enter in all of that data makes it a very, very, very complicated endeavor to do an audit. Let me say, first of all, I thank you as a citizen for having been willing to go into the government and for the intensity and the integrity you put into this. And I really want to thank you for joining me on Newt's World. I look forward to working with you to see if we can't find ways to modernize the system so we both have a better ability to compete with China and we have a less expensive system just because there's enough waste there that you can run a better Pentagon and a better military at lower cost if you modernize it. And you're a key person understanding it, actually having done it. And I hope that you will continue to be active. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to help educate us. Well, Mr. Speaker, thank you. It was an honor to serve my country and I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. And thank you again for taking up this very important topic. And I still hold out a great deal of hope that we can make significant improvements. And I was delighted to join you. So thank you for asking me. Thank you to my guest, Lisa Hirschman. You can read more about cost-saving measures and modernization on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newtsworld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newtsworld, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. 
This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2 and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.